The Ponco Native American tribe from Oklahoma would call spoilers a Hayoka, a backwards walking podcast. <laughs> this is Last Dance Spoilers. <sighs> Hello, everyone. This is Josh from Goshen, Indiana. Um, so happy to be recording on episodes three and four of The Last Dance. Let's go and introduce ourselves from east to east and say where you who you are where you're recording from and since this is called the last dance when's the last time you danced oh okay uh well this is pappy recording from Louisville, colorado excited that you're here joining us whether it's on our spoilers feed or on our newly spun off last dance special podcast feed uh available anywhere you listen to podcasts but i was literally dancing like right before we started in my chair i feel like i dance a little bit every day at home there's some a brief clip of the alan parsons project and the last dance documentary i just watched i danced during that i I don't know i I dance too much to count josh uh i'm gonna say liz you're nice i am liz i am recording from the dining room table in south bend indiana um i last danced probably yesterday with my son who thinks dancing includes running across the room while I carry him sometimes he does a little arm motion it wasn't to the Alan Parsons project uh, but (laughs) he does love baby beluga right now that is a a bop yeah a bop that slaps to infinity a bop (laughs) swims so wild and swims so free he does Stevie. This is Stevie recording from Elkhart, Indiana, just down the road from Josh. Um, let's see. Last time I really danced. Okay, it's going to sound corny as hell. Uh, the wife and I were cleaning our floors on Sunday, and the weekend came on, that song Blinding Lights. And we started dancing really hard while we were cleaning our floors. And I can tell you, it was the whitest shit you've never seen. (laughs) (laughs) Also a bop. (laughs) This is Josh, like I said, recording out of Goshen. I was putting my youngest daughter to bed tonight, and I don't always read to her. Sometimes we just watch music videos. Um, I love it, but tonight we're listening to that Daft Punk song that's like, one more time. <laughs> oh, I think it's just damn. called One More Time, but I was doing some moves to that, putting her to sleep. <laughs> it's pretty great. <laughs> I got this move where like the fists are like in front of the chest, kind of pumping, similar to like the heartbeat, but it's more like right in front of the chest. Anyway. Yeah. yeah I like it. Let's get into the last dance. Liz, this first episode is all about Rodman. I don't know, just any notes on how this episode started and the general feel of it? So, I did take some notes. Basically, they left us last time with Scotty asking for the trade. Then we jump in really with what was a not only a history of how Dennis came to be in the NBA, but how... Phil came to replace Doug Collins. Some of the notes I took, they're all over the place, which is basically me texting 
favorite parts of it too, my friends. <laughs> um, not yeah. real notes. Uh, but the one thing I texted to two of my girlfriends was if you're going to hit somebody, do it on purpose. Don't get a cheap foul. <laughs> That's stupid. <laughs> like, really just encapsulating how tough and physical those Detroit teams were, how Rodman was a part of that, and his ability to D up on anybody. Just the Gary Payton quote, too. Like, he was the fuck up guy. He's going to fuck everything <laughs> up. I love that quote you mentioned specifically because it brought me back like I played a lot of basketball in my early life like a lot mm-hmm. and we that was really a thing and I haven't really thought about that since but we would honestly gun up each other to be like foul them hard if you're gonna foul them and like someone's going up for a layup and you just barely foul them and then they make it it's like the worst thing that could happen to you super embarrassing so uh, <sighs> I love that part. I think one of the first things we hear Rodman say overall is that he wants to play basketball so they he can feel hurt. Straight yeah. up Johnny Cash style. Pappy, was. <laughs> what do you think about this Rodman kind of just laying out his personal beliefs here? The problem was that he wasn't always motivated to play. That's, that's not a, one of those periods that I'm bored as hell. I gotta find some way to we left last week and, and Zach, uh, who's not on the podcast for this week, was like setting the hype for the Dennis Rodman episode. And I I got to be honest, I felt like this episode three was more about like what Dennis Rodman was as opposed to why he was. <laughs> like the Scotty Pippen episode, like – it did a really great job on like the psychology of why, you know, he signed that that maybe not as lucrative as a deal, but more long term. And like it explained kind of the rationale of okay, now he wants to get paid and it made a lot of sense. I, I left this with more questions about Dennis Rodman than I had answers. But but one one early note that I had is is so fitting that he played for a college team called the Savages. <laughs> Southern Oklahoma Savages. Like double underlined that and circled it. But he played clean Perfect. then, didn't he, Stevie? He's a clean player. Dennis Robin, not just a clean player, but I hate to like this is gonna sound weird to say this, but also kind of like a clean person. Like the Dennis Rodman, like I knew growing up, like because I was so young, had like crazy hair and piercings and sometimes wore a wedding dress and sometimes mm-hmm. you know went on WW had sex yeah, with Yeah, sometimes went on WWF on a Monday night just because I mean during the basketball season he did that. Um and it's just so weird to see kind of this young naive person come into the NBA with no tattoos, you know, no crazy hair, no piercings. And also, as a rookie, doing the smart thing of just kind of learning how to settle in as rookies, I think a lot of people struggle with that when they get into any type of professional league like that. One of my favorite things to do late night is to Google NBA basketball player highlights, like different ones, and I have like all my favorites. I love Shaq. I do like some some Kobe sprinkled in there. But my all-time, all-time favorite has always been Dennis Rodman. And he has, like, in one of the early highlights, he has a double block on Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, that's not, like, prime Lulal Sender, but, like, 
Jesus F well Jesus Pete's man that was like one of the coolest <laughs> things I've, I've ever seen but did I did I get this right though he lived on the streets between the time he was 18 and 20 thank yeah. you for saying you guys- that yeah. actually because yeah. one of my biggest notes is like Isaiah Thomas calls him naive Stevie just called him naive this is after he's been living on the streets for two years I don't understand they just kind of blipped on him living on the streets and then someone found him and got him to juco and then found him there at and got him to southeast oklahoma state like that his mom kicked him out what like scotty pippen has obviously super ties to his family in comparison to this (laughs) it just is so so odd that they just skipped right over it did you guys ever watch the dennis rodman movie in the early 90s no, Dennis. Mm-mm. Like a fictional movie or like a documentary. It's kind of like a Joaquin Phoenix Walk the Line type movie, with sprinkled in with the actual Dennis Rodman, like explaining the different transitions in his life. But in that movie, um, it was kind of a blindside type deal where this kind of like um, wealthy white family found Dennis Rodman and raised him as their own, and that's how he got to college. Huh. I didn't watch the because they did a doc on him earlier, and I haven't watched that yet. The thirty for thirty on him, just him. Maybe they're think. Maybe that's a separate review that we do. But um, <laughs> there. But maybe they just all think that we watch that, and they don't need to get into his family <laughs> history. I don't know because we didn't. Everyone saw the movie. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, that's possible. It's also possible, I was thinking, that maybe no one really knows because Dennis isn't maybe in the best of shape right now. Honestly, he seemed borderline incoherent to me at times during his interviews, and it's kind of sad. Hmm. It's hard to believe, too, is like, in case you somehow didn't realize this, Dennis Rodman has been a major player in U.S. foreign policy yeah. in the last eight years. Like he was like a liaison to North Korea. Like who knows if Kim Jong Il will be alive by the time this comes out? Un. Hopefully, okay. Hopefully not. Un, I sorry, go ahead. I tweeted about that. I was like, "Do you think that Dennis Rodman got screeners of his prominent episodes? And if so, do you think that he sent them?" to Kim Jong-un so he could watch them. Do you think he texted Kim Jong-un a favor? Like, hey, can you pretend you're dead and like build up the hype for my episode? Maybe. (laughs) Nothing would really surprise me. Do you guys think Rodman's losing it or is that just his effect rubbing me the wrong way? Today, we look at mental health in such a different way. I, I wish that the documentary would have taken the time to apply sort of 2020 mentalities and thinking around mental health as to what Dennis was experiencing. And I think they did a decent job, you know, when they're talking about like how, how Phil and Michael, you know, quote unquote, gave him a break, which we can talk about later, but there's the whole, like when he's with the bad boys, the whole rifle thing. I I thought, excuse the turn of phrase. I thought they just kind of like, like pussy footed around it. Like at one hand, they're like acknowledging that it happened on one, but on the other hand, they're not like, really discussing what happened it's almost just like he blacked out like stevie you said, we were talking before the podcast you said they couldn't have really done it any other different way but i was a little bit disappointed in the way they handled it 
I don't think NBA films or the NBA, like especially like with how this doc is tied to it, really wants to deep dive into what Dennis Rodman was doing that day. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence. He had a rifle and he was in a truck and he was. He said he fell asleep. asleep. Yeah. Before anything could happen. What do you mean, Stevie? Lay it on us. Just go there, yeah. The reason I agree with Pap, they really glossed over this. It was literally just like, oh yeah, this happened. This is how we got to the Bulls. Like he went from here to the Spurs, and like it was very much glossed over. This is why he was released, and that's that. They did not like go like interview Isaiah about it or anybody mm-hmm. else of like, what do you like? What was going on that day? What was the feeling in the building? Like former GMs, nothing. It was just that's that. And just to add to that, too, like the the bulk of these two episodes are a really well done story telling how Michael Jordan and that group of Chicago Bulls got all their pieces together. Not not Dennis Rodman included, but got Phil Jackson there, came together as a team and overcame the Pistons. And it's a story that you've seen a lot of times, even in the modern NBA, a, a perennial opponent that someone overcomes. But like the fact that Dennis Rodman... I know he had a stop off in Antonio, but it was essentially a turncoat. You know what I mean? Like he, yeah. he was part of the bad boys and then became on the bulls. Hopefully we'll get into that more, but, but Josh, I thought that was a little bit brushed over. Really? You know what I mean? I feel like there should have been more drama about that. I felt like they just yeah. used Wilbon as kind of the touchstone for someone living in Chicago at the time. Um, or a Chicago. And I don't know if he was living in Washington or Chicago or what, but I don't know. That came across, I guess, you guys are right, and I didn't really think about it earlier. They did gloss over a lot of the hard stuff with Rodman and kind of relied on the nostalgia of him. But I still think the way they did the episode, like you were saying, Pat, relating past Rodman, which is where we're at in the story of Michael's progression, you know, as we flash back. So he's meeting the bad boys, so we meet Rodman. We're with Rodman in real time, and then segueing into, like, Rodman's kind of Phil Jackson's best success, so it kind of goes right into Phil. I guess what I'm getting at is you're saying there's a lot of interweaving things here, and I think there's just a lot of beats to hit, don't you think, Pap? What what would you have wanted to see there? Like I I, I want to I would assume that there would be you know you see the way Rodman follows Pippen uh, in that game when the, when the Bulls finally overcome the Pistons. I, I want to know, did they have like a bro talk? Was there a moment where it's like, Hey, it's all good, bro. Did Pitt, did Pippen immediately welcome Rodman in the fold? Was there any hard feelings of them? Rodman not shaking his hand as they walk off the court. Like, and again, maybe it'll come to that later, but sort of like the nature of the storytelling style is like, we're, we're slowly crawling through 98 and like taking these deep dives. And it, it felt a little bit bouncing around, but I don't want to harp on like my criticism too much because the the story of the bad boys is so awesome. I thought everything about like their culture, the Isaiah Thomas interviews, I I just thought it was so great. Like just the the, the mythos that they built up around them. Which Josh, I have a question for you. Bad boys, you you talked about at the beginning of the podcast how cool it is to har- follow someone hard. <laughs> is that <laughs> is it gamesmanship or is it dirty? I don't know. Unspo- Let me phrase it this way. Is it gamesmanship or is it just unsportsmanlike conduct to which the bad boys engaged in? There is a line you can cross. Absolutely. Um, mm, how descriptive are we allowed to get on this pod? Uh, <laughs> very... Someone I once played with had this move where, okay, so 
if a shot goes up, we're talking a lot about rebounding here because it's Rodman. If a shot goes up and you're trying to block someone out, you get low and put your butt and back into someone and box them out. People from Indiana know what a box out is and Illinois, I guess, Liz. Yes, I know. So <laughs> my friend, who I guess, I guess my teammate, I should say, when I played in high school, if someone was doing that and annoying him too much, he had a move called the thumbs up. Oh, oh no. 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 Okay, so I guess I've said enough to explain. Yeah. It. Okay, so that's crossing the line, but I think yeah, someone said that Rodman did a good job of just effing things up, right? And when you have a game that's so reliant on shooters getting into grooves and finding open lanes, being able to break someone's streak or concentration is invaluable so gamesmanship is what you're saying i think it's gamesmanship too so many other teams had similar strategies on how to deal with jordan but the and i think there's which we could get into maybe a little bit here there's bias around the bad boys because most of their players were black and the way they enforced it, um, it it stood out. But so many other people have come out like in the last 24 hours and said, the Pistons just rubbed you the wrong way. They were the villains. I don't know. It, I think it's gamesmanship, though. Well, Bill Ambeer's white, and he's maybe the most hated. <laughs> Can't stand Bill Lambeer. I definitely hate Love Lambeer. Bill what an Lambeer asshole. The most. I feel like, but I, I don't know. I hate Isaiah so much. Ugh. <laughs> Bill Lambeer would take the floor, and he was going to thump you. And Isaiah would take the floor, and he was going to smile at you and direct traffic for how things were going to go down. And that is slimy. Like, as much as I say gamesmanship, Pap, and I believe that, I still think maybe the two people we just talked about are, like, bad people. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think Isaiah Thomas is a bad person, but I just thought it was hilarious. Like, because I, I, you know, you hear the phrase Jordan rules, and there's that famous book that called Jordan rules uh, about Michael Jordan. And, like, I took a note. It's like, one of them was, like, He's on the wings, push him to the elbow. He's at the top of the key, push him to the left. And like the third one's like, put him on the fucking ground. If he's on the baseline, <laughs> if he leaves like, the floor, put him there. <laughs> That's a little bit of a jump there. But I, I don't know. I loved all that bad boy stuff so much. The way yeah, I read that, Pap, was similar. I think there's actually three rules that are very like basketball-y. Like force yeah. him to his left hand on the post and the ones you mentioned. And then there's like the hidden rules that are all the like, <laughs> just knock him to the ground stuff. Where where are we at in the story here? I mean, the nature of this doc really just does flit around a ton. It does. I love the Vegas stuff. Love, Vegas love, love. Dennis Rodman in Vegas is amazing. He got on a motorcycle after having a Miller Lite and had a police escort. Like so many laws. <laughs> gone i think we talked about something this last episode too like what is his body worth you know what i mean like what is the value of the things that he's physically capable of doing and just to even imagine 
one, a, a modern day NBA athlete getting on a motorcycle to a modern day NBA athlete drinking a Miller Lite, then getting <laughs> on a motorcycle. It's just unfathomable that anyone would do that. I mean, hey, if it's only one, there's blood alcohol content's probably pretty low. It's just a Miller Lite. Sure, sure. <laughs> He's like, hey, police officer, this is my first one of the night. No worries. <laughs> I did. We talked about it last week. I did think it was interesting that, like, I don't remember the context of this shot, but there was a shot from this episode on the plane where Michael, it was the very first shot we see of Michael Jordan gambling, and you could just see how happy it made him to gamble. (laughs) (laughs) This could be a problem. Another time I noticed Jordan smiling was when him and Rodman got, like, a rebound at the same time. I love that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, like, handed it off to Rodman, let him get the stat. Yeah, that's pretty. Cool. Michael let Rodman get the stat, and then Rodman's like, "Now you take the ball because you're way better at offense." Than you. <laughs> <laughs> Michael has this quote that there's a turning point because there's like the cigar story of forgiveness or whatever. But Michael straight up says when Rodman got ejected from a game and Pippen was out, he quote left me alone out there, and. <laughs> I think that's some real talk, but at the same time, like, man, that's a little disrespectful, right? There were There's a lot of other really good players on that team. There were four other people on the court. He's like, I'm not there. Alone. He was just alone. John Paxson's like, look at me. Like <laughs> Liz, do you think that's has that been something floating around in your brain at all, especially having yeah. remembered these seasons? Like there's they really don't focus on the insulary characters like at all. No. And the thing I have been waiting for, which hopefully like we get some Olympics flashbacks, even though that, yes. that footage is going to be crazy expensive, but I'm sure they can afford it. Uh, is that is where the subplot of Krauss going after Ku coach comes in and like everyone, I feel like we, we saw a lot of people last night that we, hadn't seen before we saw will purdue and judd bushler and um wedding or sorry cartwright and bj armstrong talked a little more um horace grant obviously uh ron harper a little bit but we haven't heard from tony yet and i wonder how much we're gonna hear from him because there's a lot of animosity there that I, I just wonder how much that is visible in the the later seasons of him being there. Liz, I have a, I have a question for you. Like, like I've said a couple of times, I'm not necessarily a Bulls person. I didn't understand the legacy of Doug Collins. Uh, he seemed like a really, really, really awesome guy. Like, what do, do you have any feelings about him as a Bulls fan? So I, like, my real in real time memories don't go back that far but the i feel like the feeling that i usually get when people talk about him there's respect for him there but that even though they went to the eastern conference finals i think it was shrewd on Krauss's part that he realized that they were never going to overcome the pistons by just catering to michael and that's what Doug Collins was going to do Jordan talks about how tight they were. And he talks about that quote. He's like, Doug Collins' job was getting the ball into my hands, and it felt like Phil was going to take it out of my hands. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Phil had to tell him, I'm not worried about you, but we have to make everyone else better to win or else you're not going to be in the bird magic tier. That's not going to happen for you. Well, it made me, Josh, we talked about it last week, like how Jerry Krause is just pictured or kind of depicted as the villain. Like Doug Collins literally like kisses Michael Jordan, like Isaiah Thomas and Magic Johnson before a fucking finals game. Like they kiss (laughs) on the cheek and like to, to fire a coach with that kind of relationship with that big of a player at that time with that level of success, like I think was you said the best. That was a shrewd move. That was maybe some might say even a genius move to see the talent in Phil Phil Jackson. I, I don't know. I just felt like the documentary didn't like. I feel like it should have taken a beat and been like, yeah, that was a really good call by Jerry. So I hope a lot of people make that connection. But yeah, I guess it doesn't fit into their narrative of Jerry Krause being just an asshole, weirdo, dancing on a plane, getting told to stop by Pippin. Yeah. <laughs> so for the history of. Jordan with the Bulls. We get through this episode. We get Bulls versus Cavs. We get the famous Elo shot. And there's a little bit in there that I loved with Ron Harper not being on Jordan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Lenny Wilkins was a coach of the Cavs at the time. I had to look it up. And he's a pretty respected like Hall of Famer. Uh, and <laughs> to make the choice to put Elo on MJ was not a popular choice with Ron Harper, who knew that he could DF Jordan better. Jordan knew it. Everybody knew it. And Ron says, okay, whatever. That's some bullshit. This is what Ron Harper said. <laughs> Attention, the bullshit meter has detected major BS. <laughs> That's definitely some bullshit. Sorry, once the train starts on that thing, it just keeps rolling, but... Yeah, I, I thought that was so interesting because, of course, Ron Harper is, you know, should be featured in this documentary like heavily. He hasn't really been. So he's finally like entering it. But also like Elo's defense was actually super good on that play. Like what else can a man do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't do anything else. Like what? Were you not going to let him get even a dribble? <laughs> like you were just going to shut him down. I was right in his I face. And we get the classic Michael, you stuck it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right here, Chuck. Michael, 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 Michael. You stuck it, baby. Michael. Michael, you stuck it, baby. You stuck it. Yeah. Yeah. I have a confession to make. Like I, I grew up seeing that highlight. I didn't grow up, you know, having that game a part of my consciousness. For some reason, I distinctly remember being like seven or eight years old and thinking that Michael Jordan had kicked <laughs> Elo in the face. <laughs> after he like the nuts or something. Yeah, yeah that's why he falls, that's to, why the he falls like, oh, to the ground. That poor bastard. <laughs> <laughs> like, that seems like an offensive foul. <laughs> kicked him down in the face. The other thing that's so sad for Elo is I think he had like the last eight or ten points for the Cavs. He was like hitting threes and oh, very difficult shots. And all anyone remembers is him falling down in the background. Yeah. One, one more thing, if we're kind of moving along, is... Yeah, let's wrap up Rodman. The way he... And I'm looking at it right now in GIF form. The way he talks about making his friends shoot 
and he knows where rebounds are going, like based on the angles that are flying off of the basket. That is wild. He's talking about it and like making the hand motions. It's like if it hits here, it's going here, over here, over here. Like that is a man who's like totally passionate about his craft and knew that he could dominate people. And I, I respect that. And the way that section's edited too, it feels like he was talking about that for at least twenty minutes because he has so yeah. many like like different like and it goes this way and it goes this way and it goes this way to the point where they start like, chopping it up <laughs> real fast. <laughs> like he must have had like fifty different interpretations of a way a ball can bounce off of a rim or backboard for the interviewer that day. It's so awesome. I just practice a lot about the angle of the ball and trajectory of it. You got a Larry Bird, it's gonna spin. You got a, a magic and maybe spin. When Michael Shoe over here, I position myself right there. Now I hit the rim, it's boom, uh, click and go back this way, boom here, here, click and go that way, boom, that way, click here and go like this way. So basically I just start learning how to put myself in a position to get the ball. Rebound. I, lo- I also love the transition too of like, you know, you're looking at Dennis when he's talking about, you know, different angles and where it hits on the rim. You're like, wow, he's very intelligent about the game. He knows what he's doing. And then no more than 10 minutes later after the Vegas things, he's in practice in pajamas. And Phil's looking at him going, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> Don't you feel like we all know someone, maybe not in basketball, but in your craft that just kind of naturally good, but it like bores them? And it's... I don't know. Pappy was talking about the mental state of it earlier and really is fascinating because obviously he was a hard worker and can turn it on when he wanted to, but mm-hmm. yeah. So the person, the one person that contained Rodman and MJ was Phil Jackson. And that's episode four. Uh, what, what were you guys just overall thoughts on the episode? I think my favorite quote that I have written down here is Dennis and I have a Native American bond. (laughs) (laughs) Pause, write that down. That's the funniest shit I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) I knew that Phil got into coaching and was in upstate New York, but I had no idea that he was in Puerto Rico. And when he was talking about people killing chickens and dumping the blood on the opposing team's bench. I was like, yep, sure, sure. None of this is surprising. Got it. You have seen some shit, and that's why you are the way you are. Like, nothing surprises me about you. The fact that you had your friend in there talking about how you dropped acid. and Phil Jackson's championships, his bevy of championships, are really just part of a spiritual journey, man. Yeah. Free your mind. Like, come on. <laughs> the second note I have, Josh, this is specifically for you, perhaps apropos to nothing to the average listener, but the song that they play while they're talking about hippie Bill Walton-esque Phil Jackson is I Feel Free by Cream. And the guitarist there was Eric Clapton. (laughs) If you guys were disappointed about the glossing over of Rodman in episode one, which I honestly didn't really see, I was upset about the glossing over of Phil in the second one. I wanted like the deepest dive ever on any of his 
mystical, spiritual sort of pseudo. It's only episode four, man. We'll get there. Yeah, I Six think we're more to so? go. We got. I feel like this was his chance, and it was just mostly about like MJ. No, we got yoga footage. We're gonna get like shamans. I feel like all that's coming. I think. I feel like some strange things are happening at Bulls practices that we have not seen yet. Yeah. <laughs> We got. We only have gotten yoga in 1997, which people just didn't do. Plus, this is like the perfect build-up too of how they set the stage in episode four, because episode four is them showing off Doug Collins, right? Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. yeah. So they're showing off Doug Collins, and kind of the climax for him and MJ's relationship was that shot over Craig Elo, and. That's as far as Doug Collins and Jordan were going to get. And I think this is truly building up to the last shot that Michael Jordan ever took in a Bulls uniform, which is over Byron Russell. And that's with Mm. Phil. And I think that's going to be becoming more and more apparent as we go on, like in later episodes. And to be fair, there is a lot of interesting stuff in this episode, too. Like Stevie, they show a little bit of him on the court doing some yoga and Native American chants or something. Oh, yeah. I mean, Phil's a kooky cat, and Krause even made like mention to it. That's why he didn't hire him the first time. He was like, didn't even come in wearing a suit, just wearing plaid and jeans. <laughs> and speaking of that choice, there's some sort of ineffable human thing with leadership happening here, and they really linger on this Doug Collins quote where he's like, I had this feeling that in my second year, Phil actually could have been the head coach. And the interviewer is like, why? And he's like, oh, no. And he's like, no, really, why? Oh, oh no. Just a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Stevie, what's up? We have grown up with SportsCenter, and I, we've seen a million, billion, trillion times uh, the, the, the story of a big personality coming into a situation uh, maybe an established organization maybe an organization on the upswing there's all these promises that that person's got to deliver them to the promised land and they never do what what is it about phil jackson that actually made it work with dennis rodman because like i feel like everything in episode three was telling you that it shouldn't work in episode four then it just does phil makes reference to it like when he first met dennis like, to me, it seems like Dennis didn't care where he lived or what city he played for. It was just he wanted to play basketball. And what really stuck out to me was how Dennis didn't even, like, stand or shake Phil Jackson's hand when they first met. And I think it takes a really smart person to realize this is just who they are. You have to be a fiery person, I think, to be a successful coach. But to be like an all-time great coach, I think you have to learn that you can't coach every player the same way. And I think that's why it worked for Dennis and Phil. It was this kind of mutual respect of if you let me be me, I'll make sure I like you go out there like you get wins. So I think that's mm-hmm. probably why it worked. But do you think they also took peyote together? Maybe. I wouldn't be shocked. I think it might even be like a more, I I think it comes down to love. Like I really do. Like if this was Bill Parcells coaching the Bulls, I know it's different sports, but like those two personalities just would have butted heads, butted heads, butted heads. I get the impression that Phil Jackson did and does genuinely love 
Dennis Rodman, and that's like the shining characteristic of his leadership. He loves his people. But also Scotty, like flashing back to last episode, he was yeah. quick to be like, Scotty wasn't getting paid much, and he had to do some things to make it worth his while. And he has a high level of empathy, right? Definitely. Kids, we are all one. Drop some acid right now. Uh, <laughs> stop what you're doing. You know, be the best coach ever. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes, Liz. Mm. For your mind. Um, <laughs> there's just so much more we could get into about Phil. It could be its own thing. It's on Doc. I had no idea that the triangle offense, like Phil learned it from somewhere else. People always kind of like attach that to Phil as creating it. I had no idea that that was like he learned it from someone else. I thought that was really yeah, interesting. He learned it from Tex Winters. Yeah, Tex Winters. So th- he's, he's the man. Yeah. And so he was a background guy, kind of like a genius behind the scenes. Pappy, what do you think about the Tex Winter stuff? Because it was very like basketball X and O sort of stuff for the stock. Yeah, there was, uh, like like CB said, I, I had always thought or even heard, I thought that Phil Jackson had invented or developed the thought. triangle office. But there was one kind of overhead shot where it was showing, it was an actual game, but the, the bulls were sort of kicking it around the perimeter, trying to work it in around the elbows. And it kept drawing the triangles on screen. And, and I, I think that it, that was actually like really, really valuable to show in a documentary that's, that's mostly narrative, you know, mostly about personalities to have that sort of like digital technology, which I'm sure like NBA teams now are implementing kind of like, you know, here are your passing lanes if you have the ball here. But, but do you, you know what I'm talking about, Josh, where they had the, like the triangles overlaid on screen? I thought yeah. that was really cool. It was a really cool shot. And I think, if you really pay attention to what happens and like the end result, I think like Scotty like misses a shot or something on that play, but it was like mm-hmm. s- just such a good example of triangle after triangle. It's like that white stripes video music video, <laughs> seven nation army, just triangles and triangles. Man. <laughs> I really like that deep diving into some basketball genius who a lot of people have never heard of and kind of giving him some credit. there. He went with Phil to the Lakers and he I he passed away I want to say within the last maybe five to seven years and he just kept winning implementing that and like lived this pretty full life after he got out of the way of Doug Collins essentially who was like no triangles no shapes fall to Michael just Jordan <laughs> yeah um <laughs> So yeah, he he is really the architect, and that's how a lot of really good teams work. You have the architect like that, and then you have the people person who is not only a good coach but can can deal with personalities. Those two were definitely unstoppable wherever they went. It makes me wonder too if like in fifteen twenty years there's going to be a similar type documentary about some analytical guy moneyball style who's like proving out that the three-point shot has a statistical advantage and like kind of like his implementation of it and it's just crazy that he lasted so long in a changing league but i mean i don't know kind of along those lines josh back, back to the bad boys did you pick up on how much mj still hates isaiah thomas hates him. <laughs> one of the most tweeted about parts of the whole doc so far has been 
Isaiah Thomas lying. That clip where he's like, whatever he's going to say, it's not true. Like straight up Sid <laughs> from Toy Story. <laughs> Just Jordan's brutality when brutality is deserved in his mind. If he can find a weakness in someone, man, he'll he'll scream it at the rooftops what your weakness is and not be ashamed of it. I mean, like, he he's brutal. Like when he's on that plane and on it's it's deservedly so, Michael at this point in time is the cockiest man on earth. Like he would put Muhammad Ali to shame in his prime. Who was he sitting across from the in the plane? Who was that? Oh, the guy's like busting his chops. Yeah. About. Yeah. I don't remember who it was. He was going Burrell, Scott after Burrell. him. Yeah, Scotty Burrell. Scott Burrell. And you could tell Scott was like, Michael, like, please, like, stop. Like, my parents might. I imagine they thought the documentary was going to be released immediately after the season. He's like, my parents going to be watching this, man. And Michael was just like, well, he goes, well, parents, your kid's an alcoholic. Like, just Well, girlfriend, on. this guy's cheating on you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, this guy says he's a one-woman man. Well, he's not. He doesn't get any sleep. He's always out on the town. Like, he's just going after him. <laughs> Why does MJ got to be like that, guys? I, I don't know, but... love it. I think it's... I was thinking of a former co-worker that Josh and I worked with, who is our friend, Hi, Alan. who often would say about intense rivalries, embrace the hatred. And I was like, last night, I was like, yes, turn this all the way up to 11, because I am ready to watch... Isaiah physically like not make the Olympic team because of his actions and <laughs> and there it is it's right there he knocked Scotty Pippen down and he got himself kicked off the Olympic team that was coached by his own coach like oh. I love the mentality but just to be honest, I hope that as a human race, we can kind of keep that to the outskirts and some only like few pillars of civilization. Like, yes, in the high levels of military and maybe business and sports, let's have people that are this cutthroat. But like, at my daily nine to five, I don't want a Michael Jordan on my team. No, yeah. Uh-uh. I loved how much he still hates Isaiah, though. That just cracked me up. My wife... Like, is just learning about the 90s Bulls, like, as we're watching this with me. So it's been a real treat for me to explain a lot of things to to her. And she looked at him, she goes, Steve, she looked at me after all these clips, and she goes, Stevie, I think if Isaiah were on fire, Michael wouldn't piss on Isaiah to put out the fire. <laughs> I really don't think he would. I was like, you are correct. He still hates that man. No, he would not. <laughs> Liz, you said embrace the hate. I I'm curious, and you mentioned that you have a child, and maybe or maybe not they'll participate in organized sports someday, but does embrace the hate extend to not shaking your opponent's hand no. after an athletic contest? <laughs> no. That's where the line's drawn. I, like, the hatred has to stay within the bounds of the playing field or the court. Uh, like, you don't or a practice field, practice. or the plane, <laughs> or the dressing room. You you don't like like in a normal person's life, 
You don't go after opposing teams' fans. You shouldn't really troll anyone in real life. You have to teach your kid that like losing sucks, but it's part of it and you have to deal with it. So you go out there and shake hands. And, but interesting programming note. So my husband and I were talking about how Isaiah was trying to say that the Celtics walked off and did this to them. So it was totally fair for them to do it to the Bulls. Well, I learned that the mid eighties in the elimination games, a practice that they stopped was that fans would get to come out onto the court during the elimination game as soon as it ended. So as soon as the other team knew that they were eliminated, they were out of there. Um, So knowing when Isaiah is saying, knowing what we know today about it, I would have stayed and shaken his hand. Like that's, that's bullshit. Like you're just, no, no. It is BS. And I'm really resisting the urge to press this button again. I'm not going to do it. (laughs) No, I, I think that like further, I just hate everything about what Isaiah is saying. It makes me really sad. He went to IU sometimes, to be honest. It's just so disingenuous. I couldn't disagree more. I mean, I, I'm sad Isaiah Thomas went to IU because he's a creep and apparently a predator. But yep. I, 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 I could not vehemently disagree more about the whole handshake thing. Um, it's such like a modern excuse like oh this is obama's fault like, oh, this, the celtics <laughs> well, okay. the celtics didn't shake our hands so uh, give me a break bro bill van beer's a bitch i'll just say it i mean shake your opponent's hand if you lose and walk Stop. off the court Stop! oh my god Look, okay first of all it's not fucking little league basketball like it's a fucking entertainment it's a television show it's a marketing thing the bad boys were a brand They're a brand of badasses who don't care what you think. I love to see it. And like you always hear about the, I love to see that the actual hate. And you always hear about like, well, he's being a bad role model. And like a couple of those like newspaper clips they pulled up as part of the documentary, like showing like like being bad role models, like acting like losers. Like, uh, okay. If your kid is looking up to Isaiah Thomas, the basketball player, your kid needs better role models. Sorry. (laughs) Like, like teach him about scientists or a writer or something like, they have no obligation as the Detroit Pistons bad boys to be the good guys. Sorry, I just I don't buy the criticism of it. And like, yeah, I guarantee if Isaiah Thomas knew he wasn't gonna be on the Olympic team, he probably would have shaken Michael Jordan's hand. <laughs> That's probably what he meant by that. I don't I don't know. I, I don't blame him at all or Bill Ambeer at all for, for not shaking hands. I think it's cool. You think Bill Ambeer's thinking about his like brand he's gonna sell sell more copies of bill ambeer's combat basketball <laughs> super nintendo he Not went on to, to coach a wnba championship team he went on to lead young women to a to a title like it doesn't it didn't affect him one way iota at all as a leader or as a person or anything people are reading way too much into a handshake grow the fuck up i think that oh i think Jeez. that all those guys who played for detroit in that era are still salty about it and Jordan rents space in their head, Reggie Miller's words this morning in the interview I listened to because of it. But likewise, he pointed out that those guys were in Jordan's head. Pistons fans have nothing to complain about. They absolutely dominated the Bulls when those guys were in their peak. And then when the tables were turned, they didn't want to shake hands. 
because they're punks. That kind of leads me to maybe <laughs> our last point here, and that's the Bulls finally get over the hump. They beat the Pistons. And one thing that's always pointed out about Jordan is that he never lost to finals. But to be honest, those couple of seasons, they made it pretty clear that like those the Eastern Conference finals were kind of the NBA finals in a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, regardless, he gets over the hump. They beat the Lakers and aging magic. But as great as Michael Jordan is, I, I definitely got a sense that he was able to kind of capitalize here on a couple of teams that were like aging out. Well, how many years, I mean, how many years was Magic in the league at this point? 70, what was that that title game against Bird? Was it 76, 78? 78, I think, a little later on. Yeah. yeah. A long time. Yeah. A decent career. Yeah. He was a veteran at that point. Yeah. Okay, so this has been his 12th year in, yeah, his 12th year in the league when he played Jordan. But yeah, uh, I think you're right, Josh. I mean, he was definitely getting older, and I think you're right, though. I mean, they kind of breezed through those fi- like both finals as far as the Eastern Conference and the NBA Finals as a whole. But from there on out, I mean, I definitely think the teams that Jordan was playing later on definitely got better. For sure. Those Knicks teams yeah. were amazing. The Pacers teams. The Jazz were great. Sonics. 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 Sean Kemp. Poor, yeah, poor Clyde the Glide was out there in Portland by himself. <laughs> I think that kind of wraps it up. The I think the last thing that happens here is that they, in the past time, so we've got kind of two timelines going on. Uh, Jordan wins his first championship in 91, and then in present time, there's kind of this quote, will the Bulls ever be the same again because Jerry Krause is kind of stoking up some embers? Um so yeah, that's kind of our cliffhanger going into episodes six, wait, five and six. Going into episodes five and six. Let's do yes or no's. Let's go uh, east to east again. Yeah, so I would say that in episode four, and I think our discussion kind of indicated this, that the overall structure of the documentary not falters a little bit, but there's there's almost no advancement of the 98 storyline in this. It's almost just like an extension of the deep dive that we're taking in episode three. Um, I I did have some complaints that like, I want to know, and I think that a, a documentarian who doesn't work for a company that has a partnership with the NBA would have pressed harder on, on like, what were you going to do that night, Dennis, with the rifle in your truck in the car? Like what, what was going through your head? And I think that's a question that that's, you know, beg to the audience when you see that. But all that aside, man, I'm just having so much fun watching this. Hard, hard yeses, I would say, for both of them. Uh, we're starting to see some of the, the cracks in the armor, I think, as far as, like, the ESPN bias. And we talked about the Jordan bias last week. But, but man, it's just really, really, really entertaining. And I really, really, really miss watching basketball on TV. So hard yes for now. Yeah, Pap, if they skip the rifle... I wonder how much they're going to skip out of the Jordan stuff, you know, kind of talked about that last week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Liz, you're up. That's two hard yeses for me. I really find it hard to see how I'm going to give this any nose. <laughs> Moving. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. But just, I love getting into 
the bad boys and talking about that era. I love rehashing that and then where we're going to go. I have high hopes, but you're right. If we don't really get more into the gambling, that that worries me. But I did I did kind of enjoy also the um, the kind of shots he took at the media too, even though I've <laughs> technically been a media member. Um, like if you if you aren't with us, you're against us. Like he it was him against the world, and it's fun to see right now when we're st- so starved for competition. It's it's just fun. Stevie, I think I might be a little more west than you. Do you mind if I go? Have at it, man. I love these episodes. Um, Episode four may have been my favorite so far, but it also may have been my most disappointing, like most disappointed too, I've been. Because like, I just love Phil Jackson so much. Like I said earlier, I want to hear more about like Phil Jackson's supernatural experiences. I don't know how else to put it. Um, I love all the inside basketball tidbits that are kind of sprinkled throughout this. There's a really good convo of Jordan and Rodman talking on the bench about when a certain player sets a screen and if they should switch or not. The triangle offense stuff is really cool. How like Pippen was getting into the game more. There's a lot of that stuff. Um, as someone who is relegated to a defender rebounder role later in his basketball career i love the rebounding talk the game within a game psychological stuff for basketball specifically for me is just fascinating um the only other negative thing i wanted to drop here is that my heart sank every single time they would just like show one play of a game in like a finals or a series and then show the final score like I found myself in my mind begging for more of that in-game analysis, how a series went down. And um, I don't know. It's probably also a testament to just how engrossing this is as a series. So that's two more yeses for me, Stevie. Wait, sorry, real quick before Stevie goes. Josh, you talk about your basketball career a little bit. Were you always tall, like your whole life? No, I wasn't. So I, I was kind of a Scottie Pippen-ish. I was like, yeah. I had to be a guard. And then, like, I broke my arm one year, and then I also grew, like, five inches that year. And I couldn't shoot as good because my (laughs) arm had gotten broke. And they're like, hey, you're tall. Why don't you just get rebounds instead? So I was like, okay, I will do that if it keeps me in the game. (laughs) But I love those, like, pirouette Rodman rebounds. Like, I never did that. Like, But that stuff is, like, in my later age, just, like, so gorgeous when he just grabs it and, like, tosses it all smooth. Love it. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Stevie. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll give these um, two really hard yeses. Um, I thought it was interesting when they brought up, you know, how would Dennis Rodman fit in with the Bulls after being on those bad boys teams? And I think the thing that really helped him, like the city kind of loved Rodman when he was playing was he actually loved the game and played as hard as like played as hard as he did. I mean, he put his body, like he said, through a lot of pain throughout those years. And I think the city just loved him for it. Um, I also love the stuff about, you know, Jordan just getting beat by the bad boys so many years in a row and eventually climbing over that mountaintop and just 
how excited he was. You know, even his teammates saying, you know, we never saw Jordan smile until he won that first title. You know, I thought that was just so cool. So I cannot wait for more of this. Two hard yeses. Before we toss it off, let's do some spoilers tradition. A little bit of trivia here. To see who can has the privilege and honor of tossing the spoiler man. Let's go from east to east and tell me, after this game, sorry, after Jordan beat Isaiah in that Eastern Conference Finals that we saw here, how many more wins and losses in the playoffs did Isaiah Thomas have after that? How many more wins and losses? Yeah, he. so give me a win-loss record. He played two seasons after this as a clue. Okay, I'm going to say that okay uh i'm gonna say that he went six and eight that makes sense right yeah uh liz Hmm. four and ten stevie I will say, so you played two more seasons? Yeah. I'll say three and 11. That doesn't make any sense. No, I'll say three and eight. So the correct answer is he only made playoffs one more time the next year, and they lost in the first round of the Knicks in the three to two series. So who had the most? I don't really know. None of you guys really win. Mm-mm. Uh-uh. My point in all that was, like, this really was, like, the Pistons' last hurrah. Like, you got Lambeer out there in a face mask just holding on for dear life. (laughs) (laughs) Pappy, since you're just the creator of spoilers, I'll I'll let you throw this one away. And if you could plug, I think this is two last dance episodes in a row for us. We got some movie Mm -hmm. stuff coming out, right? Yeah, we got some movie stuff. We got District B thirteen coming down the pipeline. Then another movie pick after that. We had a fan request, uh, Ratatouille. If you have a movie that you want us to do, we get that everyone's bored in their houses. Hopefully, staying safe. Send us your fan request. We'll do that one too. And then also, yeah, we, we're spitting this off. Uh, I'll, I'll, maybe in a later episode, I'll tell you what search terms to to hit. But if if you're a fan of spoilers and you've already given us a good review on our main feed, please just take like three seconds. Search for like Lance Last Dance spoilers. Look for Michael Jordan dunking a spoilers ball, and that'll be uh, ours. If you give that one five stars too, that'd be much appreciated. But that's all that I got. Take it away. Our email is podcastspoilers at gmail.com. Our Instagram is podcastspoilers. It's lit. I love Michael Jordan to death. I love Scottie Pippen, all these guys. But they really don't do the things that I do. I gotta go out there and do all the dirty work, take out abuse from other players. I wanna go out there and get my nose broke. I wanna go out there and get cut. Something that's gonna really just just bring out the the hurt, the pain. I wanna feel that.
was spoilers.